So as we normally do before we open the word of God together, we just want to pray and ask for his help. Uh, we always want to do that, particularly in something like this, where we all have a lot of experience in conflict and all maybe not so well and have a, have a lot to learn, all of us, uh, through this. So we want to ask for the Lord's help to, to be submissive to his word and, and to, to learn. So let's pray together. Our Lord God, we just want to exalt you. As we've sung, we recognize that it's our salvation is not of nothing in, in and of ourselves. It's all in Christ and in Christ alone. And Lord God, as we want to exalt you, we want to be obedient disciples of Christ, learning all the things that you have commanded, and not just learning them, but learning to obey them, learning to walk in these truths for your glory and honor. Help us to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, understanding your word and applying these things to our lives. Grant us, Lord, humility and teachability and, Lord, just the attitude of being quick to seek forgiveness and quick to learn. And, uh, Lord, just ask that you would uh, just help us now to, to learn from your word how to handle and resolve conflict biblically. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to uh, Galatians chapter 5. That will be in several passages this morning, but we will spend most of our time in Galatians chapter 5. Let me ask you this. When was the last relational conflict that you had? For some of you, it might be as you were driving in this morning or as you were trying to get all the kids ready and out the door on time. Maybe it was yesterday. Maybe it was Friday. But the point is, my guess is you don't have to go too far back in your week to have encountered some conflict. So relational conflict is something we all would like to avoid, but really is part of reality. I mean, we're really foolish if we think we can avoid conflict in this world, even within the church. Uh, relational conflict has been part of the human experience ever since the fall of mankind. When Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, they ushered in the uh, fallen attitude in which we all are born with that really just focuses on ourselves and sees others as impediments to what we want. And ever since then, there have been relational conflicts. And, and the Bible bears really uh, frank uh, details of these conflicts. I mean, Genesis 4.8 tells us that, that Cain murdered his brother Abel simply because he is motivated by jealousy, out-of-control anger, and selfish ambition, and pride. Uh, Genesis 25 records that Esau and Jacob struggled where? Where did they begin their struggle? In the womb. Right? So that should relieve some of you parents to think, have I done something wrong because my, my children uh, have conflict? Well, you know, you can contribute to your children's conflict, but realize they're born that way. They're born in conflict. Maybe not as drastically as, uh, as Esau and Jacob did, but that's, that's a good picture of how we're born. Genesis 37 documents the jealous and hateful actions of Joseph's brothers as they connived to plan first to murder him, but then sold him into slavery. And think about how, how evil they were even to their father to tell their son that he had, his most beloved son had been killed and died. Numbers 11 uh, records the fact that Moses, the great spiritual leader Moses, asked God to kill him. 
Why? Because the people were just too much for him. They were complaining about Moses' leadership. They were griping and grumbling and complaining against Moses. 1 Samuel 18 records the insanity of Israel's first king, Saul, who wanted to do what? As soon as he got a very competent, able military leader, he grew jealous. He tried to kill David on multiple occasions, hated him, spent a lot of national resources pursuing David to try to kill him. 2 Samuel 11 recounts David's own dark path to murder. He murdered uh, Uriah in order to have Bathsheba. 2 Samuel 13, chapters 13 and 15 tell us of just the, the travesty of murder even within David's own family. You have rape and murder and, and more murder. And then Absalom wants to murder his own father. 2 Kings 12 records Israel's split of Israel into two nations that just, they didn't decide just to peacefully separate. They were at war with each other many times. The Gospels provide testimony to the jealousy and hatred of of the Pharisees and Sadducees against Jesus. Mark 9 tells us of the, the sad and selfish attitude of the disciples. They were arguing over who would be the greatest just hours from Jesus' crucifixion. Like nothing was sinking in. And then comes the, the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And, and you, you might think that the Holy Spirit would be the, the, the force to, to eradicate the conflict. But, but that doesn't happen. He, he comes to help us walk in it. But, but even with the Spirit's ongoing presence, believers are not free from interpersonal conflict. Uh, Acts 6.1 tells us of the grumblings of the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows are being overlooked in, in the offering. In, in Philippians, in the book, the, there Paul exhorts the church to unity and, and to, and to uh, abandon selfish living. In fact, in Philippians 4.2, there are two women, Yodia and Syntyche, who are urged to reconcile. Now, you might think that it's a good thing to have your name in the Bible, but I bet you those two women wish that their names weren't there. James 4 speaks of the quarrels and the conflicts among Christians and urges them not to slander one another. And 2 Timothy 3 tells us the character of men and women who hold to a form of godliness and would nonetheless deny its power. I'm going to read this for you. And and we're so easy to think, oh, that's the pagans. No, this is those who, who claim to be religious. These are those who claim even to know the name of Christ, to be Christians. And and there Paul says that they would be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, without gentleness, without love for good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That is a recipe for conflict and lots of it. And as you know from experience, Christians are not exempt from experiencing conflict. We have lots of experience. And oftentimes we don't know how to handle conflict in a way that honors the Lord. So if we're trying to avoid conflict, that's a mission impossible, one that's truly impossible. You won't be able to to avoid conflict. What you can do is avoid sinning in that conflict. And so we must learn the the principles to, to apply to our lives 
so that we don't sin against God in conflict or, or to sin less in conflict as we grow in Christ and become more like him. Now, I want to give a couple words of, of kind of a caution or, or preface before we start the series. First of all is that I want us to understand that disagreement is not necessarily bad. So disagreements with, with one another, particularly on, on areas where the Bible doesn't specifically address, that these things are not bad. They can help sharpen our thinking. They can, they can correct us in our thinking. They can help us to live more carefully for Christ in these things. So the Holy Spirit uses sometimes even emotional upheaval, that, that the emotional upheaval that accompanies conflicts to help us grow in Christ and become more mature. So the, the biblical, biblically faithful church is not the church that has no conflict, for indeed there is no church like that. All you can do is, is so avoid each other that you don't talk about certain topics. That doesn't help anybody uh, at all. So conflicts helps, helps expose our, our character weaknesses to correct mistaken theological ideas, to sharpen our beliefs, refine our plans, to grow in wisdom, to pray more. And to trust God during difficult times. I just use the analogy that's often used when we talk about biblical counseling. That God puts us in circumstances so that the water boils of our lives. So that the things within our heart come out. And he does that not to embarrass us, but to transform us. To, to expose the things within our lives. So sometimes he sovereignly directs us into conflict that we would react certain ways so that he could expose that so that you could deal with it in the power and strength of Christ. So conflict in and of itself is not a bad thing. What is bad, what is wrong, is for Christians to handle the conflict unbiblically, to handle the conflict in a way that brings reproach upon the name of Christ. And I, I would say that, that conflict is probably one of the greatest dangers to any church that is doctrinally sound. If you're a doctrinally sound church, you're not going to be prone to the, the, the doctrinal errors that come from outside the church. The, the, the greatest danger is that we would self-destruct from within. That we would exhibit the deeds of the flesh. That we would cooperate with the deeds of Satan and what he desires. That we would be just so, so infighting that we're of no earthly good to the community around us. And we bring disdain on the name of Christ. That's what Satan desires. But, but the Lord will help us to apply his word if we, were, we will be on guard. So we're going to experience problems. We're going to experience disagreements. We're, because all of us in this room is, are still being perfected in Christ. There's times where we're going to sin against each other. There are times where we're going to hurt one another. Most of the time it's going to be unintentionally, but there may be times where there's intentional harm done. And, and we have to learn how to respond to that. How do I respond to my brother who, who seems to be intending to do harm to me? That's what we need to learn. Uh, we want to bring honor to, to the name of our Lord and our God, Jesus Christ, in the midst of conflict. And we can do that if we remain committed to to handling conflict biblically and resolving it biblically to the best of our ability. So over the next several weeks, we're, we're going to look at biblical principles of conflict resolution. These principles will help us to handle conflict in a way that honors Christ. And, and we can implement these. And it's important for every single one of us to learn this. 
I mean, every family has some degree of conflict. So this is very applicable. And as a church family, we need to understand that it's important for the church leaders to lead well in this area. Oftentimes, church leaders fail because they they don't demonstrate how to deal with conflict biblically. They themselves act in sinful ways that complicate the uh, conflict instead of helping it. The, the other thing I want to mention here is that as we look at these principles, um, I am, am not trying to be original. Uh, I am following along the, the book from Alexander Strzok called If You Bite and Devour One Another. So it comes from Galatians uh, 5.15. We'll look at it in a minute. The, the, the idea there is, is these men have gone through conflict they're seasoned, and we want to follow their leadership through that to the extent that they follow Christ. There's other books that I will pull on from time to time. Uh, one is Jay Adams' book on Handbook of Church Discipline, which is very helpful when we start talking about Matthew 18 and how to resolve conflict biblically. And then Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker, which not only deals with the asking for forgiveness, but has very practical uh, recommendations on how to mediate how do you step in as a mediator? How do you resolve conflict? These are very practical steps that uh, are, are, can help us uh, deal with conflict and resolve the conflict. So the focus of the series won't be necessarily on the practical steps of mediation. Uh, there I'll just turn you to or reference you to Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker. There may be times where on Wednesdays we bring in some of these things to talk about some of the more practical stuff. But the focus of our messages on Sunday is going to be the biblical principles that help us to walk um, it, it, according to the Lord's calling of, on our lives as Christians. So just to, just to give you a list of what they are, here, here are the biblical principles that we'll be covering, that we will be covering. Walk in the spirit, walk in love, walk in humility, control the anger, control the tongue, control the criticism, pursue reconciliation, pursue peace, face false teachers, and face controversy. So as we we learn these principles and apply them to our lives, they will help us in in the power of the Spirit to honor the Lord through whatever conflict we face. This morning, we're going to focus on the first principle, which is really foundational to everything else. If we're not doing this, all the the others are going to fail. And, And this first principle is to walk in the Spirit. To walk in the spirit. When conflict arises. Our attitudes and behaviors. Must reflect. Our new life in Christ. Which is from the spirit. That, that's the basic principle. When conflict comes. Our, our lives. Our, our attitudes. Our behaviors. Our words. Must reflect our new life in Christ. Which is from the Holy Spirit. It's given to us by the Holy Spirit. We are to display the fruit of the Spirit. We are to walk according to the Spirit. We are to use Spirit-inspired wisdom on how to handle that conflict. Now, how do you know whether you're walking in the Spirit? How do you know if you're walking in the Spirit? Well, there are some that might tell you that you're looking for some kind of feeling, some kind of euphoria, some kind of sense of God. But, but the Word of God doesn't go any of those places. It gives us specific details on, on, on helping us to know when we're walking in the Spirit and when we're not walking in the Spirit. 
So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to step us through some of these. This is not an exhaustive list, but this is enough to help us to know uh, when we're walking the spirit and when we're not. So the first one, and I'm going to be turning here to Galatians 5. I had you turn there, but it's, it's going to be looking at verse 15 to start with. You know that you are not walking the spirit when you bite and devour one another. You know that you're not walking the spirit when you bite and devour one another. Serious discord was was part of the fabric of the churches of Galatia. Right? And and Paul was writing to them and they were arguing about the Mosaic law in regard to the role of the Mosaic law and, and how that fleshed out in the life of everyday Christians. And so that was causing discord. It was threatening the life and unity of these newly planted churches of Galatia. Look at what Paul says to them in the midst of that. We're going to jump kind of right in verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. The language here, the bite and devour, is that of wild animals. Right? You, you have, some of you have seen churches act this way. They're like wild animals biting and devouring. This is, this is not talking about physically. This is talking about what the actions and words of people. So it's a, it's a metaphor helping us to understand how the church of Galatia was as acting. This, this biting and devouring uh, it, it are, stemmed, are really cruel actions stemming from uh, hatred of one another. It, it stems from malice. Malice means that you intend to cause harm to another person. Uh, one person described uh, these words like this, the, the, the biting is, is akin to sinking one's fangs into someone else's soul. Right? You, you know that. You've, you've experienced that. And you've probably done it before. You've retaliated. And you just wanted to cause as much harm as you could. And maybe some of that was before you came to know Christ. But, but you know what that's like. Right? That's how ugly it is. It's like using your fangs to bite into another soul. The Lord does not want us to do that. And, and look at where the biting and devouring leads. Or the biting and devouring one another. Paul says there. Take care that you are not consumed by one another. So we think when we're biting and devouring. This simple way of thinking. When we're biting and devouring. We, we think it's going somewhere. That it's going to get us something. That it's going to get us some reward. But where does it get us? That we just devour one another. We consume one another. Uh, this is like the, this, this is like two snakes who are in the same pit and they both want to eat each other and they each get the other by the tail and they start swallowing each other. And what ends up happening? Both snakes die. Right? Neither snake wins. Right? So that, that, that's what it's like. That's how ugly it is. Right? We consume one another. Churches consume one another when they do this. So what's the, what's the solution? What's the antidote? What's the alternative? Well, the, the first thing I want you to see is that verse 15 is set in the context of love. Look at, look at um, verse 13. For, if you are called, you, but for you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom in it, into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So love is the antidote to, to biting, devouring, consuming one another. But how do you love one another when someone lashes out at you? 
Oh, it's easy to love someone who's been kind to you, who's considerate to you. How do you love someone that lashes out at you? Or who you think lashes out at you? You know, many conflicts start just by misunderstandings. You read, misread body language. You misread the actions of people. You misread the motives of people. Right? But how do you respond in love when you think someone's doing something to you to harm you or is opposing what you think is the right way that a church should do something or that a family should do something. That the key there is found right in the context. Look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So the only way that you and I can avoid just the retaliatory response of the natural flesh is by walking in the Spirit. In other words, you don't have the power. We just sung about it's not not in us, but it's Christ. Christ gave us our salvation. Christ gave us everything. We need to see that it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can obey the word of God. You can't do it. In and of yourself, you cannot do it. You cannot respond with love when somebody lashes out or says something unkind or treats you uh, in a way that's unkind. In and of yourself, you can't do it. But you can do it if we rely upon the Holy Spirit. And, and this is where we, we must... Um, we must depend upon the Holy Spirit to, to help us to walk in the Spirit. So Paul teaches about the walking of the Spirit instead of carrying out the desire of the flesh. And we're going to talk about the walking in the Spirit in a moment. But, but notice for a moment that, that Paul aligns biting and devouring, which he says in verse 16, with the deeds of the flesh, which he begins talking about in verse 19. So you know that you're not walking in the spirit if you bite and devour, consuming one another. You know that you're not walking in the spirit if you manifest the deeds of the flesh. You're not walking by the spirit if you display the works of the flesh. And in, and in uh, Galatians 5.15, I mean, sorry, Galatians 5.19 through 21, Paul gives us 15 specific sins as typical attitudes and actions of those who are carrying out the deeds of the flesh, the passions of the flesh. These are the works that our flesh produces. Now, the flesh here is, is defined not as your, as your physical skin, your physical body, but it's the old man who is dead but acts alive. Right? So you are a new creature in Christ. If you believed in Jesus Christ, you've been converted, you've been saved, the Spirit resides within you, you are a new man or woman in Christ. There's that old man or old woman that acts as if they're still alive. It's like the snake, when you cut the head off, it moves for quite a while. Or when you take a chicken and cut its head off, it runs around if you don't restrain it. It acts like it's still alive. Right? That's the old man. And that old man or old woman will, will run in the passions of the flesh if we don't restrain it with the power of the Spirit. So these are the deeds of the flesh. Let's just read this together. Verses uh, 19 through 21. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, notice that last phrase. This helps us to understand why we cannot just... Let the flesh have its, its, its reign in our lives. And that is because those who practice such things, that is, 
ongoing, this is an ongoing pattern in their lives. Those who practice such things shall, what? Not inherit the kingdom of God. So again, God isn't um, unconcerned for where you are spiritually in your sanctification. He wants you to walk in the spirit. And those who practice the deeds of the flesh show that they have no spirit within them. They're not converted at all and therefore are not going to heaven. That's, that's what Paul is saying. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list. Notice the, the last part of that phrase and things like these. So these are just, these are just patterns. These are just types, uh, categories. But there are other sins that, that would certainly uh, list, could be listed in the deeds of the flesh. But notice that if we pay attention, there are eight out of the 15 that could be described as social sins that contribute to conflict. These are sins that directly contribute to sinful conflicts or not handling conflict well. And these are enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envying. So over half the list deals with just those sins of, of the flesh of, that deal with the relational conflict. And the Galatian believers displayed these works of the flesh in their conflicts. That's why Paul's writing to warn them, again warn them, of these things. So there's no doubt that you and I have, have, have seen these. You know what these are like. You have engaged in these yourself with other believers. So as you consider, look at the, look at the deeds of the flesh and their descriptions of these. These things are abhorrent to God. When we manifest these attitudes, we set ourselves in opposition to the Spirit, and the Spirit sets Himself in opposition to us. We rise up, and we go our own way, and the Spirit says, no. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit within you brings conviction, and if you will listen to Him, He will provide guidance and correction in your life. But make no mistake about it. God doesn't treat sin lightly, even though he's forgiven it. That's the good news. In the life of a believer, all your sin is forgiven at the cross. That's, that this should you know, cause us to sing loud hallelujahs when we realize the reality of our everyday lives. That none of us are sinless in our everyday lives. Having said that, the Holy Spirit opposes works of the flesh, deeds of of the flesh. So this, this gives us another motivation. To handle conflict well. We don't want to live our lives in opposition. To what the Holy Spirit is doing. And, and you know you see this in verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So that you may not do the things that you please. The spirit is working in our lives. Opposing the deeds of the flesh. So that we may not just continue on running along these passions, these deeds of the flesh, because if we just continued in that pattern, we would actually demonstrate that we are not children of God at all. So the deeds of the flesh cause us to want to do, uh, to fulfill the, the passions of our heart. It's that thing inside you that says, oh, this just feels so right. This is, this is the time, you know, when somebody says something and you just, you just uh, say something back, sharp. You get them, you, you got them. You, they, they fell into a trap. And you say those words and they feel so good inside. The Holy Spirit is opposed to that. Absolutely opposed. And you, we have really good examples of this in our politics today. This goes on all the time. So if a politician 
is a Christian. They cannot engage in the deeds of the flesh, even in, as they debate their enemies, or political enemies in that, in that regard. But, but that's not all. Look, look at Galatians 5.26. Paul adds to this list a little bit, to this list of uh, deeds of the flesh. Uh, just to pick it up in context, in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So here we could add to the list that of pride or conceit. Uh, here the NASB translates that as boastful. Uh, the LSB, the Legacy Standard Bible, translates that as vainglory, which is, which is a term we don't use a lot, but actually it's very descriptive. It helps us to understand the, the heart of the sin, vain glory. You know what vanity is? You're pursuing, you're pursuing glory. You know, you're glorifying. That's what these, you know, many of the sports stars, especially in football or baseball, when they hit a home run or catch a, a touchdown, they just glory in themselves. You know, they dance around and, you know, it's all about them. But realize that it's just vain. Like Christians can engage in this if we're not careful. And I like the, the, the combination of, of vain glory. You're pursuing glory for yourself, but it's all vain. It's empty. There's, there's nothing to it. So pride is, is one of the attitudes, or vain glory is one of the attitudes that, that glories in self. It, it proves vain. But Paul warns that this, this is just empty, and it, but it contributes to conflict. Pride leads to provoking one another and envying one another. So this, this, the deeds of the flesh are, are in opposition to the spirit. They are also in opposition to loving one another. So instead of loving one another, we end up biting and devouring one another, provoking and envying one another. And the, this diagnosis that Paul gave to the Galatian church, he also gave a similar diagnosis to the Corinthian church. Now let me just read that for you. In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 3 to 4, uh, Paul says, For you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? It's just a different phrase to say that they're doing the deeds of the flesh. And he says, are you not walking like mere men? And what he's talking about is the unredeemed men. For when one, when one says, I am of Paul, I, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? Are you not unre, are walking like the unredeemed? Paul adds another helpful uh, addition to this list of the deeds of the flesh in, um, from Galatians 5 in 2 Corinthians. Just turn a little bit to 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12, look at verse 20. So in talking to the Corinthians in what would be um, his last letter to them, he says, For I am afraid that perhaps when I come I may find you not what I wish and may be found by you to be not what you wish. That perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry, tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you. And may I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and have not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. And all that was causing division within the church. So if we put these together, and this again, this isn't an exhaustive list. But from Galatians 5, from 2 Corinthians 12.20, we put these together. We, we come up with 14 deeds of the flesh, 14 unique deeds of the flesh. And again, it's not exhaustive. 
And I'll just read these for you. This is combining these passages. Galatians 5, verses 20 and 21, verses 26, and 2 Corinthians 12, 20. First, enmities. Second, strife. Third, jealousy. Fourth, outburst of anger. Fifth, selfish ambition. Sixth, dissensions. Seventh, factions. Eighth, envying. Ninth, vainglory or pride. Um, challenging one another. Slanders. Gossip. Arrogance. Disturbances. So these things are related to one another. You, lots of times you can't have one without the other. But, uh, but understand, that's the picture that we get of walking in the flesh. Now, now why do I mention all these things? Right? It's because... We need to keep these things in our minds so when conflict happens and we begin responding in the wrong way, we can do an immediate check, right? So when we see ourselves in vainglory, we see ourselves, hear ourselves slander, even in our hearts, right? That, that's what the Lord is concerned with. It's not that the Lord is concerned just with you not slandering someone literally. He doesn't want you to slander them in your heart. Right? So when, when next time we are in a conflict, stop and think let paul's catalog of sins and these vices these deeds of the flesh be an objective check go through them read them together with whoever you're having conflict with if the person's a christian you can just open this up and 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 just read the passage together right let's commit ourselves not to exhibit the deeds of the flesh now there's one other passage i want us to briefly visit and, and that is in james chapter 3 so if you would, open up your Bibles to James chapter 3. So you know that you're not walking the Spirit when you bite and devour one another. You know you're not walking the Spirit when you display the, um, uh, the deeds of the flesh. And you know that you're not walking the Spirit when you display fleshly wisdom. Look at what James says here. I'll just pick it up in verse 13, 313. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. And he sets that in contrast to the wisdom and above. And we'll look at that in a moment. But when we have jealousy, selfish ambition, when there's disorder, and, and James used the term every evil thing, that is things that flow from the flesh, we know that we're not walking in the spirit. And you all have, have seen this in your families. You've seen it in churches, sadly. Alexander Schrock gives a, an illustration that's a, it's really a, a made-up illustration of a church. So the church name and the exact con situation is made up, but the responses to the situation are not. These, these churches have really responded to the situation. Let me, let me walk you through this. Chapel Hill Church, a large Bible-believing church, invited an evangelist for a week of special messages. At the end of the week, the evangelist challenged the congregation to develop a deeper devotion to Christ and to be more commuted, committed to sharing the gospel. Then, without showiness, coercion, or endless appeals, he invited people to come to the front of the auditorium and kneel with him in prayer. 
His messages had touched many people's hearts, and they responded to his invitation. But this church was not accustomed to altar calls. And as the meeting ended, a prominent church member expressed to all within earshot his disagreement with the evangelist's altar call. His loud, angry words and facial expressions shocked those around him. He accused the evangelist of unscriptural practices and, the emotion, and emotional manipulation. He even threatened to, to leave the church if the leadership did not deal with the, deal with the situation immediately. Upon hearing the angry man's accusations, some people jumped to defend the evangelist. They saw that God had used the evangelist to revive their spiritually dry church and supported his challenge to greater evangelism. They accused those who opposed the altar call of being narrow-minded traditionalists who always resisted change. They also accused them of being insensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading and not of caring for the lost and of not caring for the lost. Other people sided with the angry complainer claiming that the evangelist was preaching a gospel of easy believism. They made slanderous remarks about the evangelist's motives and character and labeled anyone who agreed with him as liberal. They also attacked the church leaders, saying that they lacked spiritual discernment. They went so far as to ask the church leadership to resign, claiming they had sinned against the church by inviting a wolf in sheep's clothing to preach. Soon gossip and rumors lit up the phone lines, Past grievances against one another were rekindled and hurtful accusations flew in every direction. Angry, inflammatory speech became the mode of communication. Misinformation, fear, suspicion, and distrust abounded. Friends and family members were recruited to choose sides. The church leadership communicated poorly with the congregation and the anger and hatred escalated. Within a year, Chapel Hill Church was split into two separate churches, each group claimed to be defending God's truth. There was no desire on the part of either group to seek reconciliation. They were happy to be done with one another. That is sad reality for many churches. Oh, the circumstances might be different, but the responses aren't. I've heard it. I've witnessed it. You've heard it. You've witnessed it. You know how devastating it can be to a church to go through something like this. And then for the leadership not to address it biblically. So regardless of our theological position on altar calls, obviously we don't do altar calls, although I do invite you to believe in Christ and come talk to me after the service. But regardless of our view of altar calls, we could certainly agree that that this church uh, ignored the blatant commands of Scripture in order to deal with something that Scripture doesn't deal with directly. Like Scripture doesn't address altar calls directly, but it certainly addresses gossip and slander and all the deeds of the flesh directly. People didn't have any problems at all demonstrating the deeds of the flesh. They, they, they didn't think twice, all the while condemning the other person. So it's, that's the sad reality of our lives. These, the deeds of the f- flesh bring devastation and we need to be on guard against these things in our, in our own personal lives, at work, in our families, and particularly with the church. And now I, what I want to do is pivot a bit. We've talked about the negative because these things help us identify when we're doing something wrong. And, and you need to be on guard against these. And we need to help each other. Spouses help each other. Believers help each other. It, it, graciously and gently uh, point these things out to one another. 
Right? And we'll talk about some, how, some of the ways to do that in the future. But we need each other. Right? It's so easy to walk in the deeds of the flesh and not realize it. We need each other to, to point these things out in a loving way. So let's now turn from what we shouldn't do to what we should do. So when facing conflict, seek to reflect your new life in Christ. Right? When we encounter conflict, our attitudes and behaviors should reflect our new life in Christ, which is given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. We are to be spirit-controlled, not flesh-controlled. We are to be spirit-controlled, not out of control. God has always wanted his people to live in a way that would demonstrate his holy character to the unbelieving world. And you look at churches today. Right? What kind of witness are they giving to the world around them? Right? Sadly, not a very good one in many cases. And Satan attacks churches that are theologically sound in this way. Every church is prone to it, but he really, a church that's theologically liberal that no longer preaches the true gospel of Jesus Christ, Satan's not really interested in doing much with them. He can just let them go, go their own way. But a church that's, that's theologically sound and is following, is committed to following Christ and Christ's commandments is, is very prone to this. And so we need to stand guard. And, and for those that are visiting here this morning, there aren't, there, there, there's like, like, not like a major conflict. So we're dealing with this in a moment of peace, or relative peace, okay? So just, just know that. Um, and, and that's good because we need, to, we need to be forewarned and forearmed on how to do these things, uh, walk, walk in these paths in a way that honors Christ. And I will say this, that, that there's some here today that, that probably are not converted. Uh, you're here and we're grateful that you're here and there could be multiple reasons why you're here. But there are some who may not believe in Christ and are not converted. Right? If you are not in Christ, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. If you, if you die physically, you will face eternity of punishment for your rebellion against God. And God is pleading with you that you would repent of your sins, believe in Christ, and be converted. It's His power. He, he, he offers you an eternity of blessing through Christ Jesus. You'd be foolish, and you are a fool if you turn away from that. And even, even at that, God continues to plead with you. So even today, let today be the day of your salvation, when you turn to Jesus Christ in faith and have His Spirit residing within you. Understand that while you can attempt to apply some of the principles we're talking about, they're completely futile without the Holy Spirit living within you. So all that we're going to talk about here uh, from here on is addressed to believers, those who have the Spirit living within them to help them live out the, the new reality that they have in Christ. We must walk by the Spirit. Go back to Galatians 5, please. Galatians chapter 5, and we'll see the kind of the opposite of the deeds of the flesh, and that is to walk by the Spirit. The Christian life begins the moment a person receives the Holy Spirit of God into their lives and experiences a profound, radical life transformation. The difference between the old and, and, the, and the new person is, uh, is the difference between light and darkness. It's the, it's the comparison between death and life right, in, a, in a physical sense. So that is why that a person without Christ can't apply the things that we're talking about. They cannot walk by the Spirit. In Galatians, Paul assumes that his readers have believed in Christ and have the Holy Spirit within them to help them. The Holy Spirit um, moved through the Apostle Paul to reprove the Galatian believers for not consistently living by uh, the Spirit's 
power and direction. Look, look if you would at verse 16. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Verse 18. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now move to verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So the first thing we need to set ourselves to do is to walk by the Spirit. Right? Abandon the deeds of the flesh, repent of the deeds of the flesh, and walk by the Spirit. Again, walking here is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for how you live your, how you live your life. It's a pattern of living your life. So walk by the Spirit. Pattern your life by the Spirit. And, and how do we do that? Again, it's revealed to us in the Word of God. The Spirit works in conjunction with the Word of God. Walking by the Spirit requires an active, day-by-day, daily effort to live the Christian life in the power and strength of the Holy Spirit by means of the presence and enabling power of the Holy Spirit. And nothing but the Holy Spirit can help you do that. You can't do this in your own strength. You set your mind, you set your course, and ask God to help you walk that path. So when we encounter conflict, we should seek to walk by the Spirit. When we encounter conflict, we should seek uh, to display Christ-like character that we see here in, that's called the fruit of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit seeks to form Christ-like character qualities in your life, in the life of every individual Christian and every local church. And these Christ-like qualities promote right attitudes, godly conduct, healthy human relationships. The very qualities that the strife-torn congregations of Galatia desperately needed. They're the qualities that our own church desperately needs in order to walk as God would have us to walk. To deal with conflict in a way that that honors our Lord and, and causes praise to come to His name instead of disdain. Now, in this passage, the fruit of the Spirit, again, Paul uses a metaphor of fruit. It's something produced by something else. You know, you get oranges from an orange tree. You expect oranges from an orange tree. So if a person has a Spirit living within them, there's the expectation that there's fruit of that new life. And that's what we're talking about. These are characteristics. These are attitudes, qualities that the Spirit produces in our life. You can't produce these. Right? You, you set your, your heart, you set your direction to do these things, but it's the Spirit who produces them. Well, not, it's not the fruit of the Christian life. These are fruits of the Spirit. So when caught in a storm of conflict, we need to examine the fruits of the Spirit and ask the Lord to help us to, to walk, up, walk in these things and do these things. And one fruit of the Spirit that's especially important, especially needed to, to navigate conflict is, is the last one mentioned, right? You can say the first and the last kind of encapsulate all the others. That is self-control. And how many conflicts do you see where just people, you know, there's that dispute and, and whether they respond with um, kind of retreating or whether they respond in eruption with anger, there, there's the lack of self-control. And, and sometimes we think that the quiet person is self-controlled, but they could be raging inside. So don't, don't be deceived by that. Right? So... We need to, to walk by the Spirit, to, to put off the, the deeds of the flesh and put on, and, and Lord's help, with, the, with our Spirit's help, to put on the fruit of the, the Spirit. These enable us to handle conflicts in a way that brings glory to our Lord and our God. 
So when believers walk by the Spirit and seek to display Christ-like character by the fruit of the Spirit, um, they set themselves up to follow God's wisdom. And so if you go back to James a minute, James 3. Remember we talked about earthly wisdom, now we're going to talk about heavenly wisdom. So we're just picking up the the other side of that uh, argument that James gives us. The Holy Spirit moved James, the Lord's half-brother, to give us sound advice on uh, regarding conflict among Christian believers. So look at the wisdom. Again, we'll just read through that passage. He says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where there is jealousy and selfish, for jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit... <clears throat> Whose fruit is righteousness, <coughs> excuse me, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And notice that leads right into uh, James addressing the heart of quarrels, which we're not really talking about today, but that is, the, what, is the, what is the source of your quarrels and conflicts among you? Is, it not, is the source not your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, you commit murder. You are envious and, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motive, so you may spend it on your pleasures. And, and James confronts that. But, but recognize that if we're going to handle conflict in a, in a, way, <clears throat> excuse me, in a way that honors Christ, then, then we need God's wisdom. And you see that the, the characteristics of God's wisdom. It's pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle, it's reasonable, it's full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering. It, it produces righteousness. And, and these are the things that we need to remind ourselves and pray that God would help us to have this kind of wisdom, His wisdom when we're dealing with, with conflict. If we will apply these things to our lives, then we will, we will um, re- handle conflict and resolve conflict in a way that, that brings honor to our Lord and to our God. So if we're going to display Christ-like character by the fruit of the Spirit, following the wisdom from above, we must learn to handle disagreement, relying on the Spirit for power to live victoriously over things that we would handle all the wrong ways in our own strength. So how do we learn to handle disagreement as a Spirit-controlled Christian? Let me just uh, try, to, try to give us some, some, helpful, uh, some helpful direction here. So conflict, as you know, presents one of the toughest challenges to walking by the Spirit. If, if we would only recognize that every conflict is a test, it's really a test. In God's sovereignty, it's a test. And Satan intends that test to be your downfall. God intends that test to be your strengthening. So don't look at, again, look at conflict as something that's all bad. God is wanting to produce good out of it. So it's a conflict Every conflict is a test as to whether or not we'll display the, the fruit of the Spirit. Will we display Christ-like character? Will we grow in, in, in uh, displaying wisdom from above? Will we grow in, in showing the reality of the gospel in our lives? We are so quick to act according to the deeds of the flesh, to act sinfully, 
uh, act unbiblically. And, and all we're trying to do in those cases is just win the argument or win the situation or get our way. But recognize that when we do these things, we grieve the Holy Spirit who wants to produce the fruit of, the, of Christ in our lives. So what do we do? We, we train ourselves to, to do um, the Lord's will instead of our own will. Instead of the passions, the fleshly passions, we follow the Lord's, um, the Lord's guidance on this. So what do you do first thing? First thing is pray. This is not complicated. I've already mentioned it several times in this message. As soon as you realize you're in a conflict, pray. And, and this doesn't mean you have to like go in another room and pray for 10 minutes. Maybe you do need to leave. Maybe you need to remove yourself from the conflict and go pray. But sometimes you can't do that. So you pray What you're at. You know, the men are studying Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was sad in the king's presence, which is a no-no. Um, could threaten someone's life to be sad in the presence of the king. And so the king asked him, what's, what's wrong? And Nehemiah, before he responded, he prayed. Do you think he prayed a long prayer? He didn't have a very long to pray, but he prayed. He prayed for God's help. Help me to respond wisely. And he did. And so that's the kind of prayer we're talking about. Sometimes you do need to remove yourself from the conflict, especially if you feel yourself getting heated in a sinful way. But there are many times you just, you just need, right then, as the conflict is coming, help me resolve this. Like, Moms, as your kids are acting in ways that are just like, they're not listening, they're doing this, you feel your temperature rising, pray, pray, so that you respond with the, the fruit of the Spirit and not the deeds of the flesh. Fathers, you know, as you, as you interact with your, with your wife, your spouse, your children, you, you know, set your path to, to pursue the fruit of the Spirit in your relationships. And, and not the deeds of the flesh. And when you, again, feel the temperature rising in your own spirit, pray. Stop and pray. Again, we can't do these things on our own. So we must pray. Um, if we are angry in conflict, we are in danger of offending God and taking matters in our own hands and going against, setting ourselves against the spirit. So first, pray. Secondly, Check your attitudes and conduct. Just what I've already, already mentioned this. Go to Galatians 5. Go to James 3. Go to 2 Corinthians 12.20. Compare your attitudes to the deeds of the flesh and abandon anything that matches up with your own life. Check your attitudes and conduct. And if we'll do this, we'll be on guard against the works of the flesh. The issue is usually we get so heated we forget momentarily of the Lord's instructions and we just set and do our own thing. We do what feels right but we can't do that if we do what feels right we will set ourselves against the spirit and we will do the works of the flesh so pray check your attitudes and conduct and then something we'll spend um the next message talking specifically about seek to act in love right love covers a multitude of sins love if you set yourself to love the other person even if they are opposed to you you will, you will be able to navigate the, the conflict in a way that honors Christ. And, and again, you need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit to help me love someone who has set themselves against me or appears to have set themselves against us. So putting the welfare of others first is what it means to walk in love by the power of the Spirit. Stop defending yourself initially. Look, look at what you could do to be a blessing to the other person. 
you know, the example I gave of Chapel Hill Church, if they, that whole situation could have been avoided if the believers there would have just thought about what is the, what's in the best interest of my brother or sister in Christ. Instead of shouting out their own strong convictions and responding in anger, they would just pause and think about what's the most loving response I can have to something I don't agree with. That's what we have to start thinking about. What's the most loving response that I can have towards someone who I disagree with or someone who has offended me? That's how we need to train ourselves. It's not natural. But but the Holy Spirit wants us to think that way. It is his um, prerogative to produce that love in our life. It's our prerogative to depend upon him and set our course to do that. So pray, uh, examine your characters, your attitudes. Right? Set yourself to love. And fourthly, seek the counsel of spirit-filled believers. You, you might need help thinking through how to respond. But when you do that, I just want to caution you, guard against slander and gossip. So if you need wisdom, go get, go get wisdom. If you need counsel, go get counsel. Right? I'll, I'll be glad to help anybody here. But when, when you come to me, just do so in a way where you're not like presenting the one-sided case that seems so strong until you hear the other side of it. And, and do so in a way where you, uh, you're not talking about the person by, by name. I mean, obviously, if their sin is public, then some of that information is public. But, but still get counsel. You want to guard your heart against gossip and against slander when you're going to get counsel and wisdom on how to handle something. And when church members fail to handle conflict well, that's where shepherds need to step in and help the members then, and teach them and lead them. Uh, to warn the flock, and, and we're needed to, to discipline and rebuke the, the flock for those who refuse to listen to the counsel. And fifthly, just again, goes with love, but treat each other with kindness and gentleness. Think through on a conflict, even with your spouse or siblings, right? Sibling conflict, it's the reality of life, right? God wants you to treat each other with kindness and gentleness, right? And you won't do that in your own strength, but if you set yourself to honor God and ask the Holy Spirit to help you, he will help you do that. And treating each other with kindness and, and gentleness can help us grow in Christ's likeness. You know, it's what the Proverbs says, gentle answer turns away wrath. Right? So it's just, that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do through us by responding kindly and, and gently. And the last thing I want to mention today, and this is not complete, but this gives you kind of a, kind of a hit list, and that is to be humble. Sometimes in conflict, we think we're right, and we might be right. In a certain conflict, you might be right. You might be 99.9% right. The other person might be, uh, you know, 99.9% wrong. But be humble. Because pride leads to sin. And if you're humble and approach it humbly, then there's always something to learn. Because even if the person is 99.9% wrong, there's what, 0.1%, something there that you could learn. And that's, that's um, wise advice for me as a pastor, wise advice for you when someone offers criticism. It might not all be right. It might not be accurate. They might have misjudged your motives, your hard attitudes. But there's likely something in their criticism that you can learn from and that you can grow from and that God wants to change in your life. So, so listen carefully. Be, be humble. So in conclusion, when facing conflict, display the, the fruit of the Spirit. Display the new life in Christ. That's, that's what we're called to do, not the works 
of the flesh. To be spirit controlled, not out of control. To be as concerned about our attitude and behavior as about the issue itself, which is causing the disagreement. In the end, set ourselves not to bite and devour one another, but to love and to build one another up for the glory of Christ and, and the good of the church. Well, let's pray. Our Lord, we, we do thank you for your great love and your long suffering. But Lord, you are so patient with us. So we're just slow to learn. But that demonstrates your, your love, that the fact that you're, you're patient with us, abounding in loving kindness, not wanting any to perish, and wanting all of us to walk by the Spirit, to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, to exhibit wisdom from above. Lord, left, uh, left on our own, if we go our own way, we'll, we'll fail completely. And so we just ask that you would help us to remember these things. Holy Spirit, help us to apply these things to our lives. Empower us to live these things out. Help Medina Bible Church to be a church that, that sets itself to resolve and handle conflict biblically for your glory. That we would not be a disdain or a reproach upon your name. Not ever, not today, not next week, not next year, not 10 years from now. But may we glorify your name until you come. To live in a way that, that glorifies you, that models Christ-like living for those around us. Help us to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, learning and applying the things that you have commanded us.